Like uh, Ryan and Chrissy mentioned, this is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday that uh, we remember the time when Jesus entered Jerusalem just at the beginning of what we call Passion Week. And the crowds were waving branches in front of him. Um, Mark apparently thought this was pretty important. He spent a third of his gospel talking about Sunday through Friday of the last week of Jesus' life. A third. That's a lot. That's a lot. So let's get into the story. We're going to read from Mark chapter 11, verses 7 to 10. Then they brought the colt, the donkey, to Jesus, and they threw their garments on it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, praise God. Now, some of your translations here say, Hosanna. It's a transliteration of what they were shouting. We'll come back to that word in just a little bit. Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. Now you look at this and you got to wonder what in the world was on Jesus' mind because this is so atypical of what Jesus does. This is not the way he normally behaves. Now you see him in crowds before. He doesn't shy away from attention. But this is a parade. This is a parade in his honor and it's just so unusual. Jesus never does anything like this anywhere else in the Gospels. So what in the world was going through his mind? Well, I kind of think that Jesus was thinking of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is an Old Testament prophet. He's one of the minor prophets. He uh, preaches after the exile, and most of what he has to say is about the Messiah. So in speaking about the Messiah, in Zechariah 9, 9, Zechariah says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious. But he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, I really think that Jesus had this passage in mind when he orchestrates Palm Sunday, the processional, the parade in his honor going into Jerusalem. Jesus wants the people to know who he is. He is the Messiah that Zechariah prophesied. He's the king of the coming kingdom of God. But then you have to ask, 
What did the people think? Somehow, I don't think that they were thinking of Zechariah at this point. I think they were thinking about somebody very different, somebody actually named Simon Maccabees in the book of 1 Maccabees, which is a book written between the Old and the New Testament. Chapter 13, verse 51, we read it was on the 23rd day of the second month in the year 171 that Simon Maccabees made his entry into Jerusalem with a chorus of praise and the waving of palm branches with lutes and cymbals and zithers with hymns and songs to celebrate Israel's final riddance of a formidable enemy. Now Simon Maccabees was a priest in the temple. He comes to prominence during the reign of someone named Antiochus. Antiochus was a Greek authority and he ruled over this area of the world. And he decided that it was high time that those Jews learned how to be good Greek citizens. So he began tearing down altars. He began setting up other altars, altars to Zeus, Apollos, Hermes. He began teaching that people should forget the Hebrew language, learn Greek instead. And he finally was bold enough that he sent one of his emissaries to the temple in Jerusalem. His emissary had on a leash a pig. And he came into the temple with the pig. The high priest was standing there and by him, Simon, who is later called Simon Maccabees. The emissary says to the high priest, sacrifice this pig on the altar. The high priest said, no. So they killed him. The emissary said to Simon, sacrifice this pig on the altar. So Simon drew his sword, killed the emissary. Then he destroyed the altar because it had been desecrated by the presence of the pig. Then he went throughout Israel. He began tearing down the temples to foreign gods. He began teaching the Old Testament. He began to rally the troops and they went to war against Antiochus. And he began to win. In the book of Maccabees, Antiochus even had elephants in his army. And Israel went in and beat them. And in 1 Maccabees chapter 13, Simon Maccabees, Maccabees means the hammer, long before Daryl Isaacs. <laughs> Simon the hammer beat up on Antiochus, drove him out of Israel. 
1 Maccabees 13, Simon comes into Jerusalem and they receive him with palm branches. I think that's what the people were thinking of. They were thinking of Simon Maccabees. Now, Jesus didn't have an army yet. But boy, a lot of the things that he did were just like Simon. Just like Simon destroyed the altar, Jesus was turning over the religious leaders in Israel. Just like Simon taught Hebrew again to the children of Israel, Jesus was teaching the Old Testament. Just like Simon, Jesus called himself the king of this new kingdom that was coming. And so as Jesus came into the city, they waved the palm branches and they began to shout, Hosanna. Now, New Living Translation says praise God, and it certainly means praise God. But you know what it literally means? It means save us now. This is the time. Now is the time. Come, build your army. Let's throw Rome out of Israel and start the Maccabean reign all over again. They could not have been more wrong. And so Jesus takes that week and he begins to show them just how wrong they were. First thing he does, Mark says, is he went into the temple that night, but it was late, so he left. He went back to Bethany where he was staying a short distance away and on Monday, Jesus returns and he clears the temple. There were money changers in the temple with animals. They were there for the visitors to Jerusalem who were coming for the Passover meal that would take place on what we would call Friday night, they would call Saturday morning. They came and they filled up the temple courts selling animals. Now the court that they occupied is called the court of the Gentiles. There's a picture of it here. Uh, you see a, a temple complex. The temple is actually that tall building in the middle. Around the temple is the court of men. If you were a Jewish man, you could go as far as to even touch the outer wall of the temple. The court right in front of it is the court of women who could go in and see the temple. But there is a wall, and outside that wall is the court of the Gentiles. If you were a Gentile, you could come into this outer area. And you could hear people teaching from the Old Testament. There would be preachers there who were preaching messages of encouragement. Jesus frequently preached in the temple. There would be psalmists singing psalms. You could go and experience the worship of God as a Gentile without actually entering that inner temple. Jesus went the night before, he looked around, he saw the court of the Gentiles full. So he began on the next day to drive out the money changers 
and the animals because they filled up the court of the Gentiles and there was no room for the Gentiles. Jesus was preaching all four Gospels mention this and all four Gospels say he preached from the same passage in the book of Isaiah. What Mark says is that Jesus said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus was preaching from an Old Testament passage that says that the temple is there for the Gentiles. But that week, especially that week, they closed the temple up to the Gentiles, said, you don't belong. Well, Jesus drove out the animals. You saw the court of the Gentiles. That's, that's big. There's a lot of territory there. Took him a long time to do it. And all the time he was doing it, he was talking about this passage from Isaiah. My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. It's for the Gentiles too. You can almost see Jesus when he finishes, when he drives out that last animal. He goes to the gates of the temple and he throws the door open wide and he says, it's open again. There's room for you now. Come on in. That was you he was talking to. That was me. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. He made room for me in the temple the last week of his life. He wanted me to see what was going on. As a result, Mark chapter 11, verse 18, when the leading priests and teachers of the religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. That was the last straw for him. They said, that's it. We're done with it. We're done with him. Let's get rid of him. They begin to plan how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were amazed at his teaching. They couldn't take him in public because of the way he taught. Tuesday night falls. Jesus, uh, Monday night falls, excuse me. Jesus goes back to Bethany on Tuesday. He comes back to the temple. This time when he comes to the temple, he is questioned by the Jewish religious authorities. Now the purpose of their question is not to find out an answer. It's not to ask Jesus something because they wanted to know what he thought. They're trying to discredit him. So they ask him tough questions. They start by saying, by whose authority did you throw all these animals out? You see, if Jesus would have said, by God's authority, they would have said, but we are God's representatives. We had nothing to do with that. So what Jesus says was, I'll tell you, but you answer me this first. By whose authority did John baptize? <laughs> now the people love John. 
And the religious leaders knew that if they said, by God's authority, Jesus would say, well, then why didn't you go to be baptized by him? Why did you reject him? So they said, we can't tell you. So Jesus said, well, then I can't tell you. <laughs> and the people in the background say, ah. They go to Jesus and they say, uh, should we pay the Roman tax? Roman tax was extremely unpopular with everybody. Nobody wanted to pay that tax. They paid a temple tax. In fact, it was common to say we pay tax to God, not to Caesar. But the Roman authorities were there specifically so that they would pay the Roman tax. So they say to Jesus, should we pay the tax or not? If Jesus says yes, the people don't like it. If he says no, then they go to the Roman authorities and say, see, he's telling the people not to pay the tax. So Jesus says, uh, show me one of those coins that Caesar wants. And they pull out a Roman coin. Whose image is on the coin? And they look and they say, well, it's, it's Caesar's. And so Jesus says, hmm. It must belong to him. Why don't you give it back to him? <laughs> and the people are there saying, wow. <laughs> they try to discredit Jesus with their questions and they fail miserably. So at the end of the day, Jesus tells them a parable. He says, a man made a vineyard. And he rented out the vineyard to some tenants and then he traveled. He went a long way away. And when harvest time came... He sent a servant to collect that year's rent. The servant got there and the tenants beat him up. Hmm. So he sends another servant. That servant got there. They beat him in the head. He sends another. They kill him. Finally, the landowner says, I'll send my son. So, they send a son, and when the tenant farmers see the son, they say, here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him. Let's take the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, they murdered him, they threw his body out of the vineyard. Mark goes on, he says the religious leaders understood Jesus is talking about us. We are the tenants. But they can't do anything because the people are hanging on his every word. On Wednesday, Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem. He stays in Bethany. He's probably staying in Lazarus' house. He's probably in Lazarus' house. He, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead a couple of weeks before. And while he's there at a meal, a woman comes in and anoints Jesus. She takes a bottle of very, very expensive perfume. In fact, the disciples say you could have sold that perfume for a year's wages. Think of a year's wages. 
if you just did your taxes, take your gross income. That's what that perfume cost. And she didn't put a couple of drops on Jesus' beard. She broke the bottle and she poured it all on Jesus. Jesus said she has done what she could and she has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. All week long, Jesus is talking about his own death. No, he didn't come to lead Israel against Rome. He came and he was going to die on Thursday. We have the Last Supper. That's a strange meal. You take a look at it and we see it so much it doesn't appear strange to us, but to them, really odd. Because first of all, it's on the wrong day. Passover is on Friday. Actually, on Saturday starts on what we would call Friday night. But on what they would call Friday morning, Thursday night for us, Jesus has a meal with his disciples. It's the wrong day. He has no trouble contracting the upper room because the upper room is probably booked on Friday night, not Thursday. They eat the wrong thing. They're in Jerusalem. They're supposed to have a Passover lamb. And at that meal, there was no Passover lamb. Or was there? Now, there was not a lamb that had been sacrificed in the temple, which is what they would have done in Jerusalem, and then eaten it early Saturday morning on what we would call Friday night. But they had a Seder meal. They had a meal of bitter herbs, bread. Years later, they thought back and said, oh, wait a minute. The Passover lamb was here. In fact, at the end of the meal, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. Eat my body. He took some wine and he poured it out and he said, this is my blood. Drink my blood. I am the Passover lamb. From John 14 to 16, we have that long sermon of what Jesus preached to his disciples that night. In that sermon, it's full of direct references to his death. I'm going to leave you. I am leaving you behind. I am going to my Father. You've got to let me go away so I can send the Holy Spirit to you. Time after time after time, he talks about his death. Then they go out. Mark says they sang a hymn as they went out. The hymn that they would have sung would have been one of the Psalms of Ascent. Fifteen psalms from Psalm 120 to 134 that pilgrims would sing as they walked up the road leading into Jerusalem. 
We don't know which one they sing, but kind of think they started with Psalm 120, where the whole thing starts. Listen to a couple of those verses. Psalm 120, I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to him and he answered my prayer. What did they do? They left singing this psalm and went to Gethsemane where Jesus poured his heart out in prayer to God. At the end of that psalm, he says, I am tired of living among people who hate peace. I search for peace, but when I speak of peace, they want war. Man, how much clearer does it get? That is exactly what the crowd was wanting. They wanted Jesus to rally the troops and fight against Rome. Jesus says, I'm tired of living among them. I want peace. They want war. They go out. They go to Gethsemane. At Gethsemane, Judas, one of his own, betrays him. Soldiers arrest Jesus, and then the other 11 disciples all run. They all desert him. He's taken to a trial before Pilate and before Herod. During the trial, Peter comes close. Servant girl says, you're one of them, and Peter denies him. And then, Friday morning, 9 a.m., they crucify him. The crucifixion starts about 9 o'clock in the morning. Jesus is on the cross for about six hours. During that time, he utters seven words in the devotionals this past week. We finish tomorrow. Um, we have those seven words of Jesus they kind of express everything that Jesus went through on the cross. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus dies. Joseph of Arimathea, member of the Sanhedrin, prominent Jew, a businessman, goes to Pilate, asks for Jesus' body. They agree. He goes to the cross, takes the body. He's joined there with Nicodemus. Luke is very clear to say that these two, Joseph and Nicodemus, were actually followers of Jesus, but they kept it a secret until that time. But when the twelve deserted him, these two came out and said, no, we're followers. They prepared his body for burial. It was quick. It was simple. There was no fanfare. There were no crowds. Only two disciples who had previously tried to keep it a secret. And yet, his death had an incredible impact. Mark tells us that when the Roman soldier in charge of the crucifixion stood facing him and he saw how he died... He said, this man truly was the Son of God. Now, I don't know that the Roman soldier really understood everything that he was saying there, but Mark did. You do. This man was the Son of God. Jesus 
dies. A week that starts in triumph, a week that starts in joy, ends in death. The disciples have deserted him. They've run away and we don't even know where they are. Next week, we'll read the next part, which is wonderful, but we'll save that for next week. For right now, Jesus is in the tomb. Horribly sad. And yet, with Jesus out of death, comes life. It's totally the reverse. We watch the Lion King and the, the sing the circle of life and it's all about how the end result of life is death. And it's just a part of life. And it's true, but with Jesus out of death, we get life. What a change. What a difference. This is totally a new way of looking at things. Out of death comes life. A year ago, on Friday the 13th of the month of March 2020, we closed the office. The governor issued a hunker-down order. For several months, we didn't have Sunday morning worship here. We had it over the internet, and we've been streaming ever since. For about a year, we have lived with death. Now, I'm not talking about physical death, although that also has happened. That also in this year has touched us. I'm talking about the death that each one of us has faced. A year of isolation, withdrawal. A year of depression, of sorrow. A year that we just continually think, when will this be over? With Jesus, out of death comes life. It's a year later and, and we're, we're looking forward to the resurrection. We'll celebrate that next Sunday. We know what's coming, and frankly, we know what's coming in our lives as well. We're beginning to crawl our way back. As you look back at this past year, what is the death that has most affected you? What have you died too? And it's just hard to get over. Out of death comes life. Begin to look at what life you want to bring back to your own way of living. What do you want to change that will allow you to live again. Now you'll be the one to make the decision when that takes place. 
you'll be the one to decide how that takes place. But begin to plan. What have you missed? What do you want? Make plans to see life come out of the death that we've been experiencing for the past 12 years.